I'm going to ask Cam to come up in a second. He had a little word, and and as we've been going through the service, I've just been feeling the reality of that word. We're crying out for God to come. We're crying out for God to unveil himself, to open himself. But I feel like he's saying, you first. You first. And I get this picture of the king in his court, seated on his throne. And everything leans into him. Everything plays to him. When the court jester comes out, he's not entertaining the jester. The jester is entertaining him. The people exist for him and not he for them. His goodness, the goodness of our God will flow. It will provide unthinkable pleasures and joys. But the order of things, the order of things must be right. Come on, Cam. So picture this intentionally. Use your imagination. You know what it's like when you, you sit in front of a wood stove that's roaring. You feel the heat coming off it, and you see the, the light, the dancing, and the motion of the flames. Imagine being in a room that's dark like that, and the door on that fireplace swings open to you. And you thought it was hot before, and you thought it was bright before, and, but there's a release of the sound of burning, and the smell, and the heat increases And the light gets even more intense because everything is out of the way. And what I saw was the heart of the Father opened up like a furnace towards us. And the only right response is that we open ours as well. And we let that passion and that love and that affection burn back towards Him. No shield, no blast door, no restriction, no hindrance, no shame. And as much as we open that door to Him, we commune back and forth. But I also saw in that moment, some doors stayed shut. And there was no communing back and forth. And when no heart responds and opens, the heart of God will close back up and wait for another moment. Open hearts, communicate heart to heart, spirit to spirit. And so, Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you would release a grace onto the church to open our hearts towards you unashamed, that we would be able to lavish our affection on you without worrying about what it looks like or sounds like. I'm asking that you let every barrier and every hindrance be swung out of the way. And let the intensity of the love burn between us. Let the fire burn. Let the passion be intense. So that we can commune heart to heart. Passion to passion. Spirit to spirit. This will be the defining moment of your life. If you will open your heart to the Lord, regardless of who's around, Regardless of who sees, this is the moment that will change you forever. His heart responds to your heart. So, Father, we want to say today, God, we, we are yours. And, Lord, your word says we do not know how we should be. But we know that when we see you, We'll be like you, for we'll see you as you are. And so, Lord, out of our weakness, out of our incompleteness, we say, Lord, we want to see you. God, we want to see you. We want to see you. We want to see you. Jesus. One of the great realities of what it means to be a Christian is that we sincerely, with an incomplete revelation, Attempt to be the thing that we, we suppose we are supposed to be. Only to be disappointed in its effect, in its influence. And then we cry out to Him and we lean into Him 
And when he reveals himself, we realize we had it all wrong. We defined in superficial terms the things he was looking for. God, change our revelation of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to delve into this right away. Oh, thank you, Lord. You know, I just love that exhortation. We've been reared in a consumer society. And I wouldn't say unscrupulous men. I wouldn't say men void of God. But men more fixed on their own personal success have allowed the church and its systems to be defined as a service provider. And we've been like so many restaurants that, uh, you know, we, we provide a product. And if you're not satisfied, we'll provide a better product. <laughs> we, we have it all backwards. We are not here as a church to be served. We are here to serve him. We are here to lift up his name, to bow to him, to to say, Lord, what do you want? And I always go back to that uh, whenever I feel the need to challenge myself or others on this, I love to go back to that parable about the servants laboring all day in the field. And it says how when they're done at the end of the day and they come back to the house, he says, do they sit down immediately and eat? This is Jesus' parable. He said, I say not. That's where that saying from came from. I say not. He said, but first they will tend to the needs of the master. Then they will tend to the need. But, but they've been working all day and the master is just supervising. Father, give us a deeper revelation of what it is you deserve, what, are you, what you are owed. Father, we're so aware of what we are owed. God, change us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as an extension of that emphasis, the church has been mired in a superficiality around what it means to be Christian. And we toss around certain words that seem to have a meaning and we examine one another and we judge one another according to measures that are invalid and I'm going to go into some scriptures, and I just was looking at more of them during the two services, between the two services here today, and and I changed the title of my message because I thought, wow, I was calling this engaging the public square, the, the public square, redefining the significance and meaning of honor, because you know we're we're called to honor, and we've used that. You know, well, we want to we give honor to whom it is due. But, you know, I was, I was thinking, man, this is more about Jesus. This is more about the example of Jesus. And so I retitled this message, Jesus Unhinged. Jesus Unhinged. Because I was looking at some verses, and I, and I was thinking suddenly about the context, the context of these, this engagement. that Jesus, We think Jesus is nice in a way that we want to be nice, in the way we're told to be polite, in the way that Hollywood has engaged in, you know, this superficial version of gentle speech. You know, the way you talk to children. Now there, what would Jesus do? Jesus never talked like that. And if he did talk like that, it's to a minority of people. It was to the harlots. It was to the sinners. It was to the ones that the church has historically turned its nose up at and, and been harsh towards. Jesus was gentle them, to them and harsh towards the one that we want to be gentle to. And we mixed up the semantics of honor and kindness and politeness and niceness have confused us. And we must long, I feel this longing for Jesus unhinged. Do you want Jesus unhinged today in your life? Do you want to be visited? And I'm speaking to the church. Do you want to be visited by Jesus in the fullness of who he is? Jesus unhinged. Because we're going to look at some passages here and and see that, no, he wasn't what you would say nice He was a flaming ember. Jesus unhinged. 
Engaging the public square as he would. Engaging the public square as he would. This is what we're called to do. And to do that, we're going to have to redefine some language, redefine some words, and change the significance, particularly of this word that is tossed around called honor. Oh, is that honoring? Well, you said that thing is you didn't you didn't you didn't kiss and nurture and love and you know pat on the back. You weren't honoring. You weren't nurturing. You weren't. Oh my goodness! So there is a there are common misperceptions that exist around what is appropriate in engaging our culture. What is appropriate engaging one another, and uh, Jesus wants to change that. Because he wants to be unfurled in this world. So the range of, of opinions that are out there are, are myriad. I remember when I was first beginning, and, and I might touch on a, a few things that I didn't touch on earlier this morning, but I remember when God began to erode my life, when he began to, to eat away at the, the surface of self-preservation, at the at the way that I I coddled myself, and I found that the glory of Jesus was caustic to my self-preservation efforts. And I want you to know that there is a gospel that's coming that is caustic to sin. It's caustic to the pride of man. It is caustic to the self-indulgent nature that we have permitted and encouraged in the church and in our families and in our children. And I want to say, Lord, we want the glory that eats away at everything incompatible with that glory. <sighs> but I remember when I first started experiencing these things and I began to teach about it. And the response I got from the church was, well, this is harsh. This is what pastors told me. This is too harsh. You sound too mean said, well, you haven't really read the words of Jesus. And I remember feeling like, oh, maybe I should pull back. Maybe I should water this down. No, I'm not watering it down because we're after something. When the prophetic word comes to people, uh, Chris gave a great, great picture this morning. When the, when the prophetic word comes to somebody and they are bound by demonic powers, they, there are two things going on. There's a word of comfort and promise that you mean to extend to the, to the person, but you are coming at their chains with a kind of diligence, with a kind of force, with a kind of authority. And these two things are divorced from one another. Yes, you love them, but sometimes it takes a swift kick. To break some things. That's why Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees. Not because he didn't like them. Not because he resented them. Not because he hated them. But because he knew that's what they needed. They needed that harshness. They needed something to break the chains of the pride that bound them. And you're going to see that when Jesus talked to people, he was not the nice Jesus we paint him out to be. He was not even plight. He got invited to people's houses. And you're going to see some of the things he said to them. You know, he wasn't a good guest. Oh, we need to be good guests. Whatever. But today, I hear all kinds of dismissals and condemnations. A chorus of Christian voices abound that are telling us, well, you know, we, we must only pray this way when we're speaking about the prime minister. We can only say these kinds of words. I want us to look at the words that John the Baptist used. I want us to look at the words that the Apostle Paul used. And I want us to look at the words that Jesus used. And I want to submit to you today that these should be our example. And if it was, if it was a part of what they were doing now, don't get me wrong. I'm not given license to be rude or to be mean or to be cruel. Because there is a difference between taking on a persona that's just harsh and actually moving in strength born of love. And, and the, the disciples, you're going to see the disciples confused those things and they got it wrong and they were rebuked. But the, the model remains the same. The model of a Jesus who wants to be unhinged in our midst. And let me tell you, he wants to be unhinged in your life. And if Jesus has only been gentle so far, it's because he's holding back. 
He's holding back because of your weakness of your faith. He's holding back because he can't and he's not allowed in your life to be who he really is. But he, what he wants to do is come and remake you. What he wants to do is come and move the boulders off of your life and free you in ways that you never imagined. But the question is, and this is the question he's always asking, how much of myself can I handle? Jesus, good Jesus. But Jesus, heavy Jesus. That was what Yonggi Cho used to say. Jesus, good Jesus. His English wasn't very good. Anyway, there is a, there's a modern interpretation of the word honor, which is mired in self-interest. It's become defined as a version of a, a tactic that people use not to honor, but to secure honor for themselves. And uh, it has is, it is skewed our view and our approach to everything. So, Father, we want to say today, we are ready. Can you, can you pray with me? Lord, we want to know how to be like Jesus. Lord, we, in our counseling, in our praying, in our approach to people, Lord, we want to be motivated to be loved by love. But, Father, we want to be exactly as you are. Father, we want to be unhinged in the Spirit of God, we pray in Jesus' name. So Luke here in the Bible is a great example of somebody. As you know, it's, it's amazing to me because when, Luke, uh, when, when John the Baptist came in Luke and he began to address the religious leaders, the scribes, the lawyers, and these ones, who were, who were the leaders? They were political leaders. They weren't just religious leaders. They were political leaders. You realize that, right? I mean, in, in Israel at the time, you had the governor, but you had a certain uh, political system that really was populated by these religious leaders and lawyers and Sadduc- Sadducees. And so it was a mixture of Roman law and there was a mixture of Jewish law, but these were the leaders. So when Jesus is speaking, when John the Baptist is speaking to them, and strangely enough, John the Baptist and Jesus took the exact same tone, okay? The exact same tone. So the one might have been operating out of the same spirit of, as the other. But look at Luke chapter 3. It says in uh, verse 7, it says, Then he said to the multitudes that came to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, <laughs> who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You know, I remember hearing about the criticism of great revivalists, and I, I remember one, the criticism towards, uh, what's his name? Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth, right? Because he would punch people. He would punch people, literally, he'd punch them. This guy had massive goiter on his neck. What does Smith Wigglesworth do? He punches the goiter. Do you know what the accusation is? That's not nice. That's not gentle. Jesus would never do that. I mean, never mind people are getting healed. Never mind, you know, appendages, uh, you know, unwanted appendages to their body is falling off. It's like, you know, just, but that's not a godly way to do it. Oh, yeah, because you know. Have you ever done this before? No, but I know that's not the way God would do it. Man, such entitlement in our judgments. Such ridiculous Ah, niceness. And as a Canadian, I, I, I shiver at the way that we have created this persona and bought into this persona. Father, free Canada from, Lord, the culture of superficial niceties. God, free us, Lord, from the falseness of the smile And the gentle talk, Father, when a poison of asp is under our tongues, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, God, may we be able to cut through pretentiousness. May we be able to cut through, God, that that acting, that that performance, drama-related, political-oriented deception that plays itself off as righteousness. You know, we, we see this, and I don't want to get into this a lot, but, you know, one of the reasons why, why Donald Trump was so hated was because he was so abrupt. And I think people say, well, he didn't have to be. Well, I, that's neither here nor there. Because at the same time, 
I, I, I'm, I'm stunned by this. You've got people who from day one worked to impeach him, to destroy him, to do everything possible, but they did it with a smile, and, and they didn't tweet about it. Therefore, that's better. They pretend to be cooperative. They pretend to be, you know, well, now, now we want peace. As though, but they were always fighting. They were always lo- doing war, but they did it without showing their hand all the time. But somehow we value that. Somehow we, oh, that, that's attractive. Why am I saying it? Because that's sometimes how we're doing church. That's how we evaluate one one another and see one another and talk to one another. And I believe the Lord is sick of it, the deception, the pride. Father, help us in Jesus' name. So he says to them, brood of vipers, apparently name-calling is okay and is not dishonoring. Right? Right, I assume. John the Baptist called them a brood of vipers. Who's he talking to? He's talking about those leaders, those Pharisees, those lawyers, those ones. They were coming. They were coming as though they were hungry to be baptized, you know, and the rest of that. And, he's, and, and he, he rebukes them right away. Look at it. Look what, what else he says. He says, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. And it's, it's like, well, why, why have you made yourself a judge of uh, the intents of other people's hearts. That's what somebody said. Well, you can't judge them. You can't judge them. That was a judgment. But it was a real judgment, and it was a correct judgment. So this idea of you shall not judge, again, there's another one that gets me. doesn't say don't ever judge. says actually, no, you will be judged. You will be judges. You will judge angels, Paul said. He said, but this is the caveat that Jesus gave. He says, the way that you judge, you'll be judged. So just make sure that you're judging righteous judgment. That's what John 7 is about, righteous judgment. Well, how do I know we have righteous judgment? When God, by his word in your journey, judges you, then you will know how to have righteous judgment. That's the reality what happens. When God comes into your life and skewers the pride and the entitlement and the, uh, the fear and the self-preservation and the phoniness of your life, you start to be able to spot phoniness. A actors always can see the superficiality of B actors. And when you become completely authentic, everything else is, comes across as it really is. I find, yeah, I'm straying. I, let, me, let me get back. Let me get back. Luke chapter 3 goes on it says uh he's talking about jesus who's coming and then he you know so he's done all these things he's rebuked them he's he said all these wonderful kind gentle words to them and then it says in verse 18 and with many other exhortations he preached to the people well you know we want you to be to exhort and what does exhort come to mean exhort has come to mean you're great let me tell you Exhortation has more to do with truth than it does with comfort. Exhortation, yeah, it has to do with hope. It does create hope, but it does not deceive. It doesn't. Listen, listen. This is what Jesus said to Peter. He said, he said, uh, he said. Well, he said, "Get thee behind me, Satan," to Peter. But he was. He's saying, "Listen, I, I'm going to bring you to this place, but it's going to cost you this much." Because I need to do a work inside of you. Try not to stray and get ahead of myself. I'm still with John the Baptist. John the Baptist. These were John the Baptist's exhortations. There's coming to the church a fire. There's coming to the church a flame of fire, a consuming fire. God, ready your people. Get ready. Get ready, people of God. Get ready. We say today that we want it. We say today that, God, we want to be perfected by the truth, by a flame of truth. God, we say let every pretentious, every facade of our life, let let it come down. Let it come down. Let me pause there for a second. If you have not really seen who you are in the mirror of God yet, 
get ready because it's coming. But it will come only when you're ready. Because God is gentle in that sense. And the truth is, when the facades that you've erected around your life begin to come down and the reality of who you are begins to come through, it can be debilitating to your confidence. And so God gives it to you in measures that you can handle, in measures that you will not cause you, like a bruised reed, he will not break. Yeah. I knew it was something like that. Thank you, Lord. Jesus... When it came to honor, when it came to speaking the truth, Jesus did not defer to the political and religious power of the ranking class. Honor to him was not kowtowing in front of the Pharisees. It wasn't saying to the governor of the land, oh, you know, king of, great king, great ruler, you can do no wrong, and I'm so glad you're here because you're beautiful. He was unapologetic. He was clear regarding the religious leader's role in enslaving the people. He wasn't sheepish about exposing the coercive religious system, and he pointed it out, and he spoke directly to those who were invested in it, and he called them what they were. You need to realize this. There is this intimidation out there, and I feel it. And even now as I'm talking about it, I feel it. And it's the same as this thing that I've seen. I have seen this. I have seen false prophets in God's church. And the most amazing thing about false prophets is everybody in that same world that's embracing and rolling out the red carpet to the false prophet are pointing the finger at the true prophets. I've seen it time and time and time again. What is this thing? that allows evil to go unchallenged. But slight flaws in righteous leaders become the bane of their existence and are leveraged against them. I have seen this so many times. I'm thinking, what is that thing that causes so much intimidation that nobody's allowed to question this guy over here? And you guys in this church have been around some time. You know, you've experienced that. You've seen it. There's a spirit of intimidation that keeps you from questioning what ought to be questioned and yet allows you to just parade in with great pomp and circumstances, pointing the finger at the one you should be honoring. That's the system I've seen in the church. It's coming down. Amen. It's coming down. It's coming down. There's an atmosphere that's coming that's going to cause unrighteous men and women to fear and to tremble to be in our midst. But it will cause those who are righteous, but who have humanity, who have humanity to be completely covered. Father, change this in Jesus' name. That's a whole other issue. But uh, Jesus did not hesitate when exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. I want you to turn to Luke 11, Luke 11, 37. What does it say? Oh, this is that one. I like this. So as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. And he went in and sat down to eat. So he's been invited to a dinner. He's a guest. How many of you have been told or coached by your spouse? Okay, we're guests tonight. Don't say anything rude. Don't point out any flaws in the food. Say nice things. Ask them about their children. Pretend you like kids. I don't know. Maybe somebody hears that. Not me. So he sits down to eat and says, When the Pharisees saw it, they marveled that he had not first washed his, his uh, wash before dinner. And that's about it. That's, that's about it. You, you, you can see the juxtaposition of these two people. These guys, self-righteous hypocrites, you know, in, entitled, arrogant, presumptuous, full of dead men's bones. They, they, they lie, they cheat, they, they'll destroy, they'll murder anybody who gets in their political way. But hey, he didn't wash his hands. Not afraid to bring that accusation, but... You know, just, wow, oh, this other stuff. Ah, it's, it's, not, it's just business. It's not personal. So look what, it, look what happens. They're sitting down at this dinner, nice dinner. Everybody's getting along. It's great. And the Lord said to him, 
Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of, full of greed and wickedness. I mean, I think about it. Let's replay this. You're all, you're out at some people's, you know, some new people in the church, and they've invited out to your house, and and they go in, and they you sit down at the table. You haven't gone to the bathroom. And they think, uh, maybe you want to go over there and wash your hands. Well, you would say that because you hate your husband's wife, or your husband's sister, or you know. I mean, this is the this is how this is how Jesus carried on. I mean, we read that and we thought, like, oh, yeah, well, it's Jesus. But we never examine the social implications of his words, the scenario he is in. I mean, these are real relationships. These are real people that the rest of the population says, ooh, ooh he's going over to the Pharisee's house, you know. This is very special, very wonderful. You know, well, mind your P's and Q's when you're there. You are full of greed and wickedness. You know, yeah, I got a little dirt under my fingernail, but how about that? Don't you know who you're talking to? These are leaders. You, again, there's, a, there's another ditch, but I think the ditch we're in right now as a church, there's a, there's a ditch of, 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 we can talk about, you know, when the, when the disciples wanted to call down fire, on the Samaritans rejecting Jesus, and their response was completely out of line. But that's not the ditch we're in today as the prophetic community in Canada, as the Church of Canada. The ditch we're in is like, be nice. Whoa, 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 whoa now. Don't say the word Justin Trudeau and evil in the same sentence. That's not honoring. You should pray for him. Yeah, I pray in Jesus' name that he would escape the grip of a political demonic spirit. I pray in Jesus' name that the Antichrist spirit that is occupying a place in the Parliament of Canada would be torn from its roots. I say in Jesus' name, let Jezebel be uprooted from the political systems of Canada. Let this nation be freed from unrighteous, beguiling, entitlement, and proud, arrogant, enslaving forces that express themselves through cowardly political leaders. Because greed and wickedness is sitting in the high places of our land and the church is silent because we have a mis... Ah, a skewed view of what it means to honor. We don't honor evil. We don't honor wickedness. We don't honor self-righteousness and pride and greed. Boldness, God, let boldness come on your children in Jesus' name. I'm just saying, this was the example presented to us by Jesus. So, did he stop there? No. Foolish ones. You fools, idiots. How can you not say that? Are you really this stupid? Well, that's what he's saying. That's the language. Well, Jesus, he was nice. Did not he who made the outside make the, the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have. Then indeed all things are clean to you. Now, that verse there almost doesn't seem to fit. We'll leave that for another time. There is a revelation in that. But woe to you, Pharisees. Do you know what that means, woe to you? Like you are condemned. You are, on the, you are on the very edge of the fires of perdition. You are about to fall into eternal darkness. That's what woe to you means. For you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and, and, uh, and pass by justice and the love of God. These things you ought to have done while, ought to have done while leaving the others, uh, not leaving, without leaving the others undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the market. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. There's the name calling again. 
For you are like graves which are not seen, and men who walk over them are not aware of them. Yeah, your spiritual bed, bedside manner, Jesus, is a little, a little edgy. But hey, you know, let's get a new pastor. Let's make sure he's nice, nicer than the last one. The last one wouldn't lie to me about my cooking. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on. Father, in Jesus' name. I'm going to skip over Paul. But basically, Paul Paul did a tongue-in-cheek thing. And he insulted the high priest. He called him a white wall. He was in Acts 23. The, the, he, was, he was defending himself. And he starts to smack. He told, told the servant, he said, strike him. And he said, God, strike you, you white-walled pig. A little ad-lib there. Anyway, and then, and then he said, what? How dare you? This is the high priest. He said, oh, I didn't really realize this is the high priest. Of course he knew he was the high priest. Do you know how many years Paul spent in that group? He knew exactly who he was talking to. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Hmm. So we've been duped. We've been duped. And again, there's two sides of this, but we're dealing with this side. This artificial politeness, this politically correct language. Uh, There's so many sides to it, but I believe one of the things God wants to tear down in the church right now is the confidence that right behavior, politically correct speech, smoothness of tongue, silver-tongued devils, are going to are going to finesse principalities and powers out of slavery out of their desire to enslave the nation and the people what we need are blunt instruments in our pulpits what we need are voices that are unhinged with the glory of god voices that know truth voices that are unashamed voices that are not looking to be politically popular but are wanting to say what needs to be said But we've been deceived and we have defined and evaluated people by these three things, by intensity, by content, and by context. We have examined people's words and we've said, you know, and I remember one time, and this is always, it's always the same thing. It's always the same thing. When you touch somebody's spiritual stronghold and they... You know, they have that uh, Gollum moment from Lord of the Rings, you know. You, you know, and that the real propriety aside, I'll show you my true face for a half a second here. When you touch people's darkness, that response is always going to be there. Here's the thing. I don't do that on purpose. Most of the time, if I touch something in you and you react, I'm not trying to incite you. Sometimes I playfully do that with people I'm comfortable with because, you know, it's fun. But, you know, I expect it back. But when, I, when I'm doing that, when it, when it, I remember it used to happen to me with David Demian all the time. It was, it was stunning, the regularity with which that man could expose my heart. I, I, it, was, it was, and you know, and it was always an element of ferocity and anger but, you know, I honored him, so, you know, I respected him so much I had to contain my rage. But when, when, he, when he did those things, he wasn't trying to hurt me. He wasn't trying to hurt me. And this is what you have to realize, that most often when people are hurt and leave churches, the things that happen is just your stronghold was manifested. something was taken off the top and consider it an honor that God would think that you're ready for that. Honestly. But I remember I was in a prayer meeting and I was asked to speak there. I had been there a couple of times and I had forgotten, you know, I get into the anointing and I forget right away the context of people's lives. That's how God works with me. I'm totally blind to all their possible woundings. Yet a sane man would just think for a second, well, you know these people's history. Why would you say that? 
Why did you say that? You should, you know, because an intelligent person thinks, yes, but anointed people aren't thinking. They're just saying what's coming to the table. And so I was in that meeting, and I started, and I knew these people were angry. They left a church that I was a part of. They, they were bitter about church structures, the organized religion, and all the rest of that. Anyway, I came in, and as we're worshiping, suddenly all the passages about forgiveness start coming up. They're just coming up, and I, I'm just, oh, this is what these guys, these guys, we all need to be free. Forgiveness is a path of freedom. You've got bitterness, but freedom is on the horizon. God is offering you freedom if you just begin to forgive. So I talk about forgiveness. I said, you know, nobody's responsible for your life. No pastor, no other leader. You have the ability to be in freedom today. Well, one of the, one of the people just got up and swore and left the room. And I talked to the leaders of the group afterwards. And they, well, you know. I, I said, what, what happened? Was, was, some, was something I say wrong? Did I say, you know, did I, was, there, was there something in error? Well, it's not, it's not what you said. It's the way you said it. It's always the, it's not what you said. It's the way you said it. No, no, it was what I said. There's no way to touch somebody's pain and not get them excited. Because the purpose is God to show you that you have this pain. That you can be so disheveled at nothing. Because there's something in there. There's something in there. What is that? Well, Jesus did this, and he wasn't even careful. He wasn't careful at all. So, here we are, and let me wrap it up with this. We have a challenge in front of us. Okay. Well, how do we do that? How, how do we do it Jesus' way? Well, there's a journey involved. Because like the disciples, and we see this pattern, the disciples are watching Jesus, and they're doing things like Jesus did them. This is what they're doing. You know, people always say, oh, look at that. He said, suffer the little children to come to me. Those, those disciples, they didn't know what they were talking about. Jesus loves the kids. Pardon me. Yes, he did. But one of the jobs of those leaders, Paul and the other apostles, to keep people away, including the kids. Jesus was always being harangued. He was always being borne down upon him. Part of the thing, and he had issued these instructions, keep the people away. Be my bodyguards, because that was the reality. So when they did it, they did it by, you know how, you know, some people just do things, well, this is what the boss said, I need to do this, need to do this, need to do this, and somebody says, yeah, but in this case, it's different. No, it isn't. Boss told me to do this, this is what I'm doing. But then you go to the boss, says, you know, this time you're allowed. What? And when the children were allowed to come to Jesus, that was an exception to the rule. They were doing, they always did what they saw him do. And what he told them to do. So when they're, they're seeing the Samaritans, and the Samaritans reject Jesus, and they say, shall we call fire down? They weren't being, as far as they knew, wrong. They were doing what they'd always see. Well, last time, you know, when that Pharisee didn't sort of, do you see how Jesus gave it to him? Man, I just can't wait till I get to give it to people. <laughs> I, when, when's my turn? I, this is, I love being like Jesus. Except the point is not, it, it's not about the intensity. It's not about the name calling. It's not about dishonoring. That's just the surface of what it looked like. Actually, that was a delivery of the word of God from the heart of God. But you saw the surface of it. All you saw was the intensity of that. And you were willing to indulge that because you resent these guys because they're not honoring you. It's kind of like, you know, when the prophet had to anoint um, a king, he anointed Saul, and, and, uh, and he's all mad about it, and he's upset, and he's pretending it's for the country, you know, for the glory of God, and then, and then God comes to him and says, yeah, they didn't reject you. In other words, all your hostility about this and your upsetness about this, it's not rooted in my glory, it's rooted in your glory. That problem right there is what God needs to displace in you before he gives you authority to be harsh. Do you understand that? 
Because self-interest cannot be at the root of harshness. If it is, he will say to you what he said to his disciples, you don't know what spirit you are of. See, when Jesus came up against pride and arrogance, and he seemed to speak with dishonor, it wasn't out of hatred. It wasn't out of the rage. I said, well, you know, I'm just being passionate. No, you're not. You, that was livid hatred that came out of you. And so we have this problem. Our discipleship process is we want to connect to the surface behaviors. So we say, oh, I guess it's name-calling is allowed. He said, no, 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 it's not about name-calling. What makes something righteous is not what it looks like, but where it came from. And so your process is God is coming to you and saying, well, I'm, I'm just operating in, uh, to, you know, holy indignation. Yeah, you wish. I mean, that was the thing when young prophets are all about holy indignation. Really, it was about, uh, no, you weren't given the seat of honor. And so you're willing to say Ichabod or Michelob over that church because <laughs> it's an old joke. You're willing, you want to call Ichabod over that church because they didn't give you a seat at the, the, the head table. That is ungodly. Not because you name-called, but because of where it came from. There's a superficiality. And, and when you don't know the difference, you, you adapt to the best version of the niceness that you, you know. And that's where the church has been at. We don't know how to speak to a culture, to engage in a culture, because all we have is superficial goodness, politeness. Jesus was none of those things. But neither was he full of rage and destructive words. Neither was he against everybody. He was doing whatever he could to bring righteousness to the nation. There was nothing in what he said or did that was ever about his compromised integrity and the lack of honor due him. There was never any sense of, well, don't you know who I am? Fueling his words. And that's the difference between maturity and immaturity. So how do we get to the place where we have authority to speak in counseling situations, in a, at somebody's dinner? You know, whatever the context is, we, in a, again, take plight, as a young believer, take politeness as a rule of thumb. But don't just don't judge the rest of the world or Jesus or Paul or John the Baptist by that measure because you're going to be foiled. So right now we're in this journey where God is getting at the root of, okay, be careful how you say because I'm trying to show you where things are coming from. If we're going to be effective in unleashing and unhinging Jesus, we have to make sure we're unhinging Jesus and not our own pain. So until we know the difference, we need to mind our, our P's and Q's. But it doesn't mean there aren't others who are speaking the word of God with a kind of ferocity, with a kind of unhinged passion that isn't godly. Father, I pray today, Lord, that you would redefine. God, we've been, and I, I want to speak to this. There is a, a veil over language. There's a veil over concepts of authority. There's a veil over uh, our perception of the image that Christianity should have. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would free us to be exactly what we're supposed to be. And we want to declare again, Lord, we do not know how we shall appear. But we're saying, Lord, appear in our midst and change us such that we can be what we need to be for our nation, for our people, for Canada. Feel the Lord just his heart brooding over us and opening to us. Just lift your hands to him right now. Just lift your heart to him. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.
Father, we say, Lord, you will perfect a people. You will, you will raise up a generation in this day, a, a generation who will unveil your glory, the glory and splendor of God Most High. We say, exalted one, do what you long to do. In us, in your people, be magnified. Be magnified. Be magnified. You know, one of the things about Jesus is he always understood the moment. And that's really what we're being asked to do is to understand the moment. And we understand the moments by being in touch with the Holy Spirit. Because there is a time to speak with kindness. There is a time to be gentle. There is a time to be slow to anger. But there is a time to be direct. There is a time to speak to those spirits, those principalities, those voices that rise up to bring lies and distortion. And it's us learning and asking the Holy Spirit to guide us in each of those situations. I shared this morning about an encounter I had with an individual outside of the church, a non-believer. And we were in a heated discussion because the discussion went into a place that it was so unholy and the things that were being spoken to me, there was no other way of saying it, but they were demonic things. They couldn't have been from God. And in that moment, I heard the Holy Spirit speak with clarity. You were not actually speaking to the individual. You were speaking to a spirit. And I heard him say, I want you to address this spirit, and I want you to address it with authority, an authority that I have given you. And in that moment, I demanded to know who I was talking to. I said that out loud to the individual. And any regular response would have been, what are you talking about? But in that moment, that individual immediately got angry and immediately just looked at me and said, you do this to me, and the voice that came out of them was not a godly voice. And in that moment, the Lord showed me. We are encountering these moments day by day, and as the body of Christ, we have been given authority to speak into them. And this is the importance as us, the body of Christ, being in tune with Jesus and the Holy Spirit so we can bring truth and bring freedom to a nation. So Jesus, help us to understand the moments. Because that's what it comes down to. Let us not shrink back when you're calling us to step forward. And let us not step forward out of pride when it's not what you've required in the moments. Holy Spirit, guide us and lead us in Jesus' name. Can we say amen to that? Amen.